Hello, welcome to the first FE3 podcast. My name is Karen Drury and today we'll be talking, amongst other things, about fake news and your attention span. Let's start with attention span. Last year, many newspapers covered a Microsoft study which looked at people's brain activity when they interact with different types of media. Researchers reported a decrease in human attention span regardless of age or gender. The study suggested that long-term focus is being diminished by increased digital consumption. It claimed that in 2000, the average attention span was 12 seconds. In 2015, it was just over 8 seconds. This is shorter than a goldfish, which clocks in at 9 seconds. You can imagine the headlines. Humans with an attention span shorter than a goldfish? But the problem is, it's fake. Yes, there was a study by Microsoft. It had 2,000 survey participants and more than 100 people undergoing EEG readings. But a sharp-eyed researcher commented that the news reports weren't quite accurate. He noted that the claim of about an, of an eight-second attention span wasn't provided by Microsoft or even studied as part of the research. It was provided by an infographic from an organisation called Statistic Brain. And they didn't provide details of any studies to support the eight-second claim. But instead, they listed the National Centre for Biotechnology Information, the US National Library of Medicine, and the Associated Press as references. Looking these up, he found none of them seemed to have any research supporting this claim. He says firmly, it is definitely not a claim that was found in the study done by Microsoft. But hey, why let the facts get in the way of a good story? In a very short space of time, the research by Microsoft has moved from attributed quote to received wisdom, quoted in article after article, blog after blog. And a new fact is born. Presuming you're still with us with your eight second attention span, I can imagine you wondering what the big deal is. The problem with a short attention span and a readiness to accept fake information, particularly in print with some numbers in it, is that it affects our decision making and that can have implications for a lot of people. Hello, I'm Vic Langer. I, I work for Save the Children in our Policy, Advocacy and Campaigns Department. Uh, I'm the Director of Influencing Operations and what that means is I'm responsible for our public-facing work uh, with regards to public mobilisation and government relations, but also uh, our HR and employee engagement work for our division. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Vic. Thanks for coming. Um, so you came uh, to the mind stretch that we ran, oh, I don't know, about a month ago now. Um, and one of the questions that arose from the conversation that we had was why solid information is is actually really important. So why is it important for Save the Children? So as an organisation, we are an information and evidence-led organisation. So the information and evidence that we put out in the world has to be credible. Uh, and then also, th- I think that means that the information that we give our employees need to be credible because we, you know, we need to breed this... Um, kind of we need to breed an environment where people are not saying things that they can't back up by solid evidence so we don't make claims to government that are wildly uh, just nonsense that are you know yeah genuine but also that presumably that then has an impact on 
how credible you are as an organisation when it comes to doling out the money. Absolutely. Lots of, yeah, I mean, all, all of our evidence is the way in which we get money from donors. It's the conversations that we have with donors that say, this is where resources need to go. You know, there's acute malnutrition in this country. We have to be able to prove that there's acute malnutrition in that country. You can't just say that. Hmm. What kinds of inf- misinformation knock you off course, do you think? What kind of data is really important for, say, the children, particularly for your employees? So I think there's lots of data around, and we talked about this on the, in the mind stretch, is around fads and phases, things that come in. So mm. a, a recent information is that we're looking at our uh, performance-related pay. So as a charity, as a third sector organisation for performance-related pay, scheme and that was based on some evidence that that's going to motivate people but of course that's not in the third sector Um, and we're talking about such small amounts of money uh, in terms of what's available that it's it's not really it's really I would say it's really hampering our ability to be able to do effective performance management and so there's a huge debate inside the organization at the moment about whether or not we should take that forward yeah that's some quite interesting stuff actually on performance related pay where um, you know, there are one set of researchers who say that it works absolutely, and there are other sets of researchers who say, you know, but what happens to people's motivation when, in actual fact, there's just a carrot in front of them? Um, yeah, I can imagine that in the third sector, it would be very different from, say, in a bank. It was because, for starts, we're not talking about huge. We're talking about like the difference between zero point five and one percent yeah. of a pay rise. Yeah, uh, on a charity sector salary, so yeah. we're not talking huge amounts of money, and yeah. so actually all it does is breed, I think, actually the opposite of employee engagement. You know, people are just quite disengaged by it because it's they don't think it's a fair assessment of the sort of their performance, and it's also quite a blunt tool. It's, <laughs> yeah, and there's yeah. not a lot of motivation around that. No, exactly. Yeah, so that would be actually a fantastic example of a great idea that worked somewhere else. Yes. But actually hasn't worked for you. So where are you on that now? Is it still being... So yeah, there's a, we're going to look, we're in the middle of coming up with what would, what would be a good way of doing performance management what? and performance measures. And actually it's quite interesting because another thing that we talked about at the, at the mind stretch was this idea that, you, you know, companies are stopping having annual appraisals. And the minute I went back to my desk at the back of the mind stretch, someone had sent me an article about that, yeah. which made me laugh quite a lot. Yeah, that's because they they wasn't they weren't quoting very much no, yeah. other than opinion. Uh, well, that's interesting. Why do you think that people have started to be interested in evidence now? Um, I think because I think it's such a big thing in the news. This you know this whole constant thing around fake news. It's yeah. all quite sensationalist. Uh, but I think even before that, I mean, for an organisation like Save the Children, accountability is such a big part of what we do so we take huge amounts of public money hmm. uh, and invest them around the world on behalf of the UK public and we have to be able to be able to demonstrate that and more and more people are asking us questions around how can you prove that the work that you've been doing is impactful how can you hmm. demonstrate value for money how can you demonstrate that you're not wasting it there's no fraud all those sorts of things so for us it's about saying don't listen to hmm. people who are saying spurious things we have to be able to demonstrate what we do hmm. So how can we make our way through the, all these endless games of Chinese whispers? Can we protect ourselves and our organisations from being duped with facts which actually aren't facts? An approach developed by the Centre for Evidence-Based Management might be a solution. This is an independent, non-profit member organisation and it was founded from an international group of management scholars and practitioners to encourage organisations to make management decisions on a combination 
of critical thinking and the best available evidence. They say this isn't about getting the right answer, it's about getting a solution which has the greatest probability of success. Their approach suggests that rather than rely on one source of evidence, which is often the experts, you look at four. You look at what the experts say, certainly, but you also look at what data you have in the organisation. And as Vic said, the motivation of their employees inside Save the Children is possibly one of the most salient pieces of information that they should be taking into account. Another source of information and evidence is the academic literature. And the final bit of evidence would be the views of those people who would be affected by any changes. I can hear people saying, I don't have time for all this research. Maybe, maybe not. The consequences of getting something wrong can be fairly significant. As Vic Langer points out, the motivation of the people that save the children has a great impact on the world and those who are suffering in it. So if you do nothing else, you might get into the habit of asking three questions. What's the evidence? Who else says this? And how trustworthy is this evidence? Even asking the questions will shift your perceptions, which may bring you to a better solution. And given that your attention span is supposed to be eight seconds, if you've listened to all 15 minutes of our first podcast, congratulations, you've got a greater attention span than a goldfish. Or perhaps this might just be a demonstration that this fact is actually fake. Until next time, thanks for listening. The material for this podcast was taken from an FE3 mind stretch entitled Management Myths and Fake News, Making Better Decisions with Better Evidence. If you'd like to come to the next Mind Stretch to be held in London on June the 21st, drop me a line at karen at fe3.co.uk.